The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through mission, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. Stand for the reading of God's word, taken from Jonah 1, 7 through 17. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the Lord, presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for you? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of you. That this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. waiting around all these weeks in between and we finally come to the fish. You know the irony of the story of Jonah is as soon as we say Jonah, what does everyone in the world think of? Fish. But fish only comes up one time in the Bible. It's actually not a story about a fish. It's a story about one of God's own on the way, running as far away as he can from God. And a story about those who are not God's own getting it more than Jonah gets. you're close and you follow all the rules and you do all the right things and you think you're close by. Maybe you're not as close as you think. And if you think you're far off, that God could never love someone like you, that you've done too much, that there's too much in your past, maybe you'll realize that you're close to God. Would you pray with me and we'll ask God to bless our failure to believe this morning. Lord, would you have mercy on me as Like this, you shape the heart of our own lives, Lord. 
girl, she decided that it was important for her to learn how to start cutting hair. And so without asking her mother, she took her little brother aside, got the kitchen scissors out, and she cut off all her bangs to cut it so that she had bangs. And she cut her brother's hair, a little hatchet job. And then just so that she wouldn't get caught, she gathered up all the hair and threw it back in the cupboard. Her mother walks into the room and sees these children and says, Aaron, what did you do? She said, Mom, how did you know I hid the hair behind the cupboard? Just a sweet story that shows how ridiculous it is when we try and hide our sin, it finds us out. It comes hunting for us. It, it will be exposed. And to serve a God like we serve and to think that our sin is not going to be exposed is silly. It's actually ridiculous. It's, it's like saying that we thought we hid the evidence. And here's Jonah in this point of the story. He has literally gathered up all the money that he had. He's headed in the wrong direction in total disobedience. He's been found out by the storm. And he's still hiding. He's still trying to not be exposed in his sin. And friends, if you're like me, and I think most of you are, we think there's still some way that we could not get caught that we could not be exposed in our sin, some way that we'll get away with it. And what it does is it causes us to run from God and it causes us to disobey. We think God's sovereignty to expose our sin, God's sovereignty to humble us, and God's sovereignty to rescue us. God's sovereignty to expose our sin, to humble us, so that the ship threatened to break up. And then seven sailors were killed. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come to pass. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Can you imagine how ridiculous it is that Jonah thinks he's going to help run from this? He's gotten on a ship with these sailors, these rough men, these people who would have had lots of sin in their own life, and he sees that there's been a a storm hurled at the boat. And they've woken him up, and they've, they've told him, come on, call on your God, we want you to call on your God. It's just said, so the captain came to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God, perhaps the God will give a thought to us, that we may not perish. So in just a moment, then he says this. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what do you 
people are you? They're finally interrogating him. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Can you imagine what those sailors thought when they heard him say that? Your God made the sea and the dry land? You You didn't want to speak up and let us know about your God who made the sea and we're all about to drown? But Jonah is quiet. The reader knows whose fault it is that the storm is coming. And Jonah knows whose fault it is that the storm is coming. But the sailors don't know. What I want you to get out of that, friends, it's impossible for you to help others deal with their sin unless you are dealing with your own. It's impossible to help others deal with their sin unless you are constantly dealing with your own. You are not in shape to do it unless you're in the practice of repentance of your own heart and your own life's idolatry. And as soon as you stop looking at your own sin, you're disqualified for dealing with the sins of others. Like Professor Jerem Bart used to say, there are no sharpshooters in Christian conviction. It means you cannot stand far back, long, far away, distant from someone, and shoot truth into their life and hit them and go, got one, and stay far away. If you're going to deal with other people's sin, you've got to be meek-eyed and close and gentle and careful. And you have to have a plan to walk alongside them for a long time. It's impossible to help others deal with their sin unless you are dealing with your own. And look at this. Jonah thinks he's still, there's some chance maybe God won't find me out. Maybe God won't find me out. And we're like that. We hold on to our sin. We, we cherish it. We keep it tucked away and we protect it. And we do everything that we can to keep it hidden from others and from God. We, we think, maybe I'll get away with this. Maybe this will end up okay. And yet God's sovereignty is constantly exposing our sin. Constantly exposing our sin. on this retreat, and they go rest, and they try to figure out how they can exemplify better Christ, better exemplify Christ to each other. They ended up on this discussion of sin, and how sin, and it ravages the decision-making ability of people, resulting in broken companies, broken relationships, broken marriages. One guy who has his PhD, this slow Midwestern Pennsylvania drawl, that I thought about this a lot and how sin affects people and how it's broken relationships and marriages and all the only conclusion I could come up with was this. And he said, everybody at core, his PhD is about to to share these years of wisdom and battling and watching sin ravage homes. And he said, all I could say was this. that you'll hold on to desperately for sin's sake. It'll, it'll cause you to be unfaithful to your spouse. It'll cause you to be 
be unfaithful to God has caused you to isolate yourself, to wander away from Christian community. Sin will make you do stupid things. Jonah is a prophet of the Lord and knows that his God is the God of heaven, the God that made the dry land and the sea, and he thinks he's going to get away from God by getting on a boat. Sin makes you stupid. And I don't say that word lightly. Where are the areas in your life where you see sin saying, that's a big deal. Don't tell anybody. You can't tell anybody. Keep it to yourself. No one's going to know. And if they do know, it's okay. You can cover over it. You can still lie. So much that people that fall into sin and look up, and they finally go, I don't have any idea how I got here. I don't have any idea how I got here. Because sin messes with your ability to make good decisions. When I was in seminary, it's been a struggle for me for a long time to be a good steward of my time, especially at night. When I was at seminary, I was in this small group of friends that was confessing their sin to each other to hold each other accountable, and we were also talking about our new young marriages, each one of us, and how that was going, and when it came time for me to go, for me to speak, I said, you know what, things with my wife are great, and we're fine, and we love each other, we're committed to each other, and I said, but I still struggle so much at night with my eyes, it's still a constant burden for me, I can't let it go, and I said, my marriage is fine, but my sin at night is so bad. straight at me and said, hey brother, your marriage is not fine. You're stealing from your wife. There are no letters to you. Yes, I am. I could actually convince myself that I could have this happy and healthy and godly marriage and yet be dabbling in sin over here and as if the two will never connect. If Jonah, I can run from the Lord and do as I please and I'll say I'm a Hebrew and a prophet of God and the two can never connect. I fear God and yet I'm running from Him. And friends, that's what our sin does to us. It says sin can be compartmentalized. It can be protected. It can, it can have things that are surrounding it, making us safe from its consequences, making others safe from their consequences. Jonah's putting all these sailors' lives in danger because he doesn't want to serve a compassionate God. sin has impact for those around you, whether you know it or not. Whether you like it or not. Your sin will impact the people around you. It's obvious. Jonah knows this. Do you remember Nathan and David? David had the king of all of Israel, and we talk about him a lot here because he's a helpful picture. The king of all of Israel doesn't go to war, doesn't support Israel in that way. He's lusting. Then he takes someone that doesn't belong to himself, basically assaults and, and moves her into his home because he can't say no to a king. And then he arranges for a fake pregnancy so that he will think, so that Uriah will think that it's Uriah's baby. And that doesn't work. And so ultimately, he makes room for Uriah to die at war. And then here's what I want you to hear. Then the scholars think it took him ten months 
to confess. Ten months to write Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. Otherwise, he's just walking around thinking he's a good king. He's the one, the man after God's own heart. He is compartmentalized. And finally, Nathan comes to him and tells him this story about this man who's just taking and taking. And David says, I'm going to kill the man. Who is he? And Nathan says, what? Really? Friends, don't try and compartmentalize your story. It will make you stupid. It will cause others to hurt you. And it doesn't make any sense. Our sin blinds us to its impact on ourselves, on our relationship with God, and it blinds us to the impact it has on others. It's ridiculously simple when you're believing in Jesus Christ and you're trusting in Him. Repent and turn your life to Him. Three, the way that you'll know that you're growing in Christ is when you don't forget God's Word. And by the way, if you think that because you start following Jesus, you're going to stop sinning, let me ruin that for you. wait ten months like David. You don't get on a boat and head the other way like Jonah. You fall on your face in your moment of sin and say, here's what you're talking about, Lord. This isn't the exception to the rule. This is who I am, and I need your help. I need your grace. I need you to transform me. I need you to help me believe the gospel. That's the audacity of repentance that we were talking about. Is that We do the wrong, I do the wrong, and then we go to God and we say, make us feel better about it. Because only you can. interesting thing goes on where Jonah is interrogated by the sailors. Now, Jonah knows he's sinned and that God is after him, and we, the readers, know he's sinned and that God's after him, but these guys don't know. They don't know what's happening, and so they interrogate him. Did you see it? Look with me in verse 9 through 12. Sorry, let's back up to verse 9. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? with this comment about his race, a comment about who he is and how strong his people are. I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the dry land and the dead sea. Can you imagine? There's a storm that could be fixed by him humbling himself and him saying, who are you? Who 
us to live in my life and say, if I follow the God that I truly admire, I can live in that confidence. It's a humbling exercise. To just ask, what's your God? He never says, he never answers the question, what's your God? He never answers the question, who in the world do you think I am? In fact, he says he fears the Lord. That means he obeys and he stands in awe of. He fears the Lord, he obeys and stands in awe of as he's on a ship headed across the other side of the world. It's a humbling exercise. It's taking a moment and to look around and say, what is my God? Tim Keller said it this way. The the question about race comes last in the sailor's list. What is your mission? What is your country? Who are your people? Jonah answers it this way. Now the Hebrew says, before anything else, he reverses the order and puts his race out front as the most significant part of his identity. Jonah's relationship with God was not as basic to his significance as his race. That is why when loyalty to his people and loyalty to the word of God seemed to be in conflict, he chose to support his nation over taking God's love and message to the Gentiles. Friends, this has happened to us too. People will choose their race prior to and on top of instead of choosing to obey God. It can happen to lots of people. That's just not fair. We choose that we're Americans first instead of God followers first. And that we're Southern before we're American. And that we're Texans before that we're anything else. Don't know Yahweh, who don't 
know the God of the Bible. They beg Jonah to cry out for them, and he doesn't. He doesn't cry out for them. He doesn't say, all right, enough is enough, Lord. I'm sorry. And so they're doing what he should be doing, and then in 14, they cry out for mercy. It's as if the unbelievers in the story are getting everything right, and the believer in the story is getting everything wrong. exclusively, almost all of them, end up sinning later down the road after they've already followed God. Do not think that God can't use you in saving others. Do not think, I'm so sorry for the person who messed up, but I don't even have enough together for my own. God is exclusively using you to help others. Do not wait to be used by God thinking that you can further down the road. And God is the one who uses you. If you're a mentor to young kids, you can say this to children. When you cover a sin, God uncovers it. When you uncover a sin, it is God who does it. police officer comes up to the car very kindly and he says, excuse me, sir, it's Tennessee law now. You can't be on the phone. Thank God for that. And he's like, and while I'm at it, you're actually speeding too. And I'm like, yeah, I know that. He says, well, you actually didn't stop. Hold it at a stop sign. I'm so sorry about that. And he said, and Mr. Huffman, I want to let you know that your tag has sin or where has he drawn it 
to your attention and maybe to the attention of others, and yet you're still looking around for what you don't need to look at. the God of, of the Bible who created the heavens and the sea and the earth is our life. At least five of them, if you factor in all of them. The last thing is through God's sovereignty to rescue us. He's rescuing us from our sin, and that's how the sailors experience it. Remember, these are people who are not going to believe these are people who are sailors. You say, what, a church is like a sailor? That's where they get this terminology, that they're rough. They live rough, they act rough, they talk rough. And God is so wonderfully compassionate and gracious that as Jonah runs, he's like, okay, cool, I'm going to save some more people while I'm going to go to get the Ninevites. And he saves them. These these total heathens call out. They said, it says in 14, they called out to the Lord, oh Lord, let us not perish innocent in the blood and lay not so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. God is constantly rescuing sinners. That's what he's in the business of doing. So if you're here this morning and you think, I'm too far off, I'm too much like the sailors, God is coming after you. Don't pity him. He rescues us from our sin. We see that the sailors become believers. Because Jonah's not doing his job. But he also, he rescues us from our sin, but he also rescues us in our sin. It's easy to think that Jonah's being noble here. Let me ruin the book of Jonah for you. Jonah's not being noble here in thinking that he's going to sink. He's not. He has hid his identity from them the whole time, and now he's finally been found out by God, and he's finally been found out by the sailors, and instead of falling on his knees and going, on me, what does he do? Still no engagement with God. And he's just like, I'm going to die. Does God have some other plan? They pick him up and throw him into the sea. Sailors are rescued. Now they're believers. And as soon as Jonah hits the water, it's too late. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish. Into the sea, God immediately rescues him from drowning. 
in the most smelly and scary probably way. And he has three days to think. And then Jonah's going to come up with this prayer that we'll study in the coming weeks. And yet we'll see throughout the narrative of the story, Jonah's still not done praying. It's not enough that he has run in the opposite way, that he spent all this money to get a ticket to go the other way, that he's hidden his identity from the sailors, that he's been found out, and then self-pity, he says, just get rid of me. As if all that weren't enough, and God still rescues him from the storm and rescues him into this great fish, and he's still going to bow.
It was like some beautiful bird flapped into our drab little cage and made those walls dissolve away. And for the briefest of moments, every last one of us thought that we were going to love him. You see, Andy Dufresne went in and he experienced the wrath of getting in trouble for playing that music so that all of those men could experience freedom just for a moment. Jesus made everyone not just feel free. He made everyone actually free. That for those that would trust in Him, He experienced the freedom and the peace of giving them Thank you.